Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 457. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 457 you're listening to. My guest today is Grammy-winning producer, mixer David Davis, who's worked with The War on Drugs, Izzy Bizu, and many others. And we're going to chat all about David's journey in the world of audio and music, and we're going to do that right here, as we always do. So very much looking forward to it. David Davis coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about being audio grownups. The crux of this one is, you know, there comes a point where you just have to have confidence in what you're doing and not going back to your friends and your peers. I mean, I could really sum this up in like just a few sentences, but let's examine it just a little bit. When we start, of course, we are very dependent on our friends and our peers for audio guidance, our our mentors who have uh, years of experience. And those are the ones that can tell us when, hey, that's a little over compressed. Hey, that instrument's too loud. Hey, maybe you should consider routing it like this. You know, all these details of the minutia of audio that we learn from those mentors, those parental figures, if you want to make an analogy of kids moving out of the house. We go to those people early on to to show us the way. But there does come a point when you got to move out of the house, so to speak. Once again, back to the parental analogy. You've got to go out on your own and you've got to make decisions on your own and be an audio grown-up. Now, I'm not saying you can't go back to, to peers and friends and say, hey, what do you think of this? But there comes a point where you've made the client happy and the last thing you want to do is go back to your friends or peers and say, should I do this different? And then even remotely consider tearing it apart and doing it over, right? Once the client's happy, as far as I'm concerned, that's game over. That's time to move on. That's time to pack it up and move on to the next tune or the next thing you're doing in audio, no matter what it is. And it's hard too, because I know that a lot of us have imposter syndrome. A lot of us are watching a shit ton of YouTube videos and mix with the master and pure mix things and produce like a pro things. And we're constantly going, oh, well, maybe I should try that technique or maybe I should, you know, redo this that we just signed off on last week. Don't, don't do that please. I mean, you can do what you want, but if you've made the client happy, keep the client happy. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever go back to those that have inspired you, those that have mentored you and, you know, seek more guidance. Obviously, even the best of, you know, let's take drummers, even the best of drummers continue to have drum teachers, right? I mean, didn't Neil Peart have a drum teacher like leading up to even his death? If my memory serves me, he did have a teacher. So to shut off that part of your brain is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that at one point, you have to take what you've learned and you have to apply it and take it to the finish line on your own, being an audio grown-up, right? Let's face it. I mean, this whole thing can be a game of second-guessing 
uh, yourself at all points. You know, once again, uh, you know, here's the kitchen analogy creeping in. At some point, you have to be the chef. You have to take responsibility and say, this is what we're doing. This is how this is going to go. I don't think that the top chefs in the world send their plates out to their peers and say, what do you think? Should I should I serve this? Should I not serve this? No. Wolfgang Puck, Emeril Lagasse, uh, Gordon Ramsay. I mean, all the, all the famous chefs in the world, that's the last thing they do. There's a point at which they become grown-up chefs, right? So we have to be grown-up audio people. We have to decide this is what it is. Now, you will get criticism for some of the stuff that you do, and you have to stick by it, you know? But you know that you get the point. I've hammered it here in a, in a number of ways. At the end of the day, be an audio grown-up, travel your own path, establish your own sonic identity and your own sonic independence. If something is is severely wrong, you're going to know it and you're going to self-correct. But don't sit back and not do stuff because you're worried about what your peers are going to think. Accomplish stuff with you and your client and make them happy at the end of the day. And I mean, what more can you ask when the client is happy? Who cares what the other audio professionals think? I mean, you know, I think we all have great respect for one another, but at the end of the day, we're not the client. We're just the, uh, we're the critics. And, you know, the critics aren't always right. The audience in this case is the client. And once, once the audience is happy, then what more is there to do? So there it is. If you have any thoughts on this, obviously you can always email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Happy to hear your two cents on this. But the key point there is I'll take your two cents, but I'm still going to put this rant out. huh? There's being an audio grown-up, just putting it out there. All right, that's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com.
I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. David Davis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I love your show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. Live from your, well, not live for the audience, live for me, coming from your garage in Los Angeles? It is a garage for now. It won't be a garage for too much longer because for the audience who can't see it, there is just a stack of rock wool in the back and you can already see the writing on the wall, figuratively, of course. <laughs> of what's about to take place, so. It's going down in here. We'll come back to this because I want to find out more about your plans for that, but let's go back to the beginning and tell me about your upbringing, where you grew up and how that all went down. I was born in East Tennessee in Lone Mountain. It's a really small town in Claiborne County where the Cumberland Gap is. Yeah, I lived there till I was about almost 10 years old. I got into music there, I got my first guitar. My mom was like, super into 80s hair metal. So obviously I was too. And that's what kind of got me into guitar. Took my first lessons from this guy Buster Turner, who's like a local legend there. Then when I was nine or 10 or so, I moved to Chicago and just started getting even more and more into music then. Like MTV played a huge part in that. Headbangers Ball, like every Saturday, bunch of Mountain Dew and Pepsi and soda and a blanket all like spread out in front of the TV just like ready to stay up all night and just like take it all in. <laughs> and then I, I started being able to go to shows in Chicago. And I, I remember meeting like White Zombie and Sepultura and these bands and, and Morbid Angel, Anthrax. I Somehow I would get backstage at these shows. I don't know how, but it was just such an amazing time for me, I guess, like seeing shows like that at such a young age and crowd surfing. And I guess just having a good time back home, like trying to learn how to play these songs with my crappy little guitar. And then from there, back to Tennessee, joined a band. And then we played a bunch around town, moved to Knoxville, joined another band. I guess just eventually after playing a bunch and writing a bunch of songs, I ended up in New York somehow recording with Alex Newport back in like 2006 or so. Jumping back and forth between Tennessee and Illinois. What was the, the cause of that? I don't know how, how personal I'm supposed to get, but my mom was kind of like running from the law. Oh, she can't get in trouble now. She was like just making bad decisions, I guess. And uh, they were kind of catching up to her. So we ended up moving to Chicago. And first they moved to her and my stepdad. 
they got up there and they were there for like six months and I finished out the fourth grade. But yeah, moved there. She was a server or a waitress at the Golden House, the pancake house next to the Riviera Theater up there. And she worked there for pretty much the whole time that we lived there. It was like five years or something. And not to get off topic here, but like I actually went back recently to go and just see if the owner was still there. And mm-hmm. the same staff, it's just like 30 years later, their same staff is still there. That's <laughs> like, they're like, how do you know Lisa? And I'm like, well, because uh, she was my mom. It was crazy that they're still there. Yeah. There's a place here in, in the Bay Area in Oakland called the Rockridge Cafe. For those listening, there is a staff there that was there in 2000. And if you go there to this day, those same people are there. There's three key people there. And and I know what that feels like. You walk into a place and you're like, holy crap, you all are still here. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad they are. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And then he had asked about my mom too. He's like, she's still around. And I'm like, no, she passed away. And like, without missing a beat, he's like, well, we're all just waiting in line. Like, you're going to drop that on me right now while you're holding coffee and some dirty plates. <laughs> but it's a good place. And then we ended up leaving there and going back. We lived in Sneedville, Tennessee, my first summer back, which is a town of like 200 people. And then just ended up, ended up back home. So in retrospect, would you, would you say that that upbringing, did it have a combination of positive and maybe, maybe negative effects on you? Or how do you look back on that? from your childhood? Uh, Well, I think as a kid, you don't really know what's good or bad. You're just kind of like kind of gauging everyone else's reactions and just living life. But looking back though, I could see how it would definitely be stressful on me. I wouldn't want that for my kid if I had one, but I'm happy that I got to just like experience all that because I was like 12 and 13 and running around all these shows with no supervision really, just other than my mom being like, I think he's going to be okay. (laughs) And I was, thankfully. But um, I'm so grateful now as an adult that I got to do all that. Yeah. To see those shows in Chicago as a kid from Tennessee. I mean, come (laughs) on. That's just just mind-blowing. Ah, dude. I met White Zombie when I was a kid up there. Crazy story, actually, with the, the guitar tech for White Zombie. It was his first tour. I didn't know this at the time, but he... And I forgot his name. Starts with a T, but... He handed me like two handfuls full of like white zombie picks and like a white zombie poster and some drumsticks. And then I ended up getting to meet the band and they signed my poster. I remember like looking at it all night, just falling asleep, just totally stoked about music. Fast forward to 20 years later, I saw this guy pushing a amp through East West because he was Richie Sambora's guitar tech. I'm like, dude, you're not the guitar tech for white zombie from like 1993, are you? And it was totally him. (laughs) He didn't remember me, but he had such an imprint on me that there's no way I could forget that. You know, For anybody to experience that, like from his perspective, like here's this guy, like all this, this many years later coming to say, hey, thanks for being super cool and, and welcoming to me. Yeah, I was super grateful for all my experiences running around. And I'm sure, you know, it did have some bad effects on me, but I feel like I'm just going to try and focus on the positive ones. <laughs> well, so back and forth between Illinois and Tennessee, how did that progress from there? And how did music progress for you? As you were going back and forth, were you also in like public schools? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I was in public schools, high school. I didn't 
graduate because we lived so far away from the school. And I lived in a few different places, but man, it was like an hour drive. This place called Howard's Quarter, if you read it, but it's pronounced Hard's Quarter. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. I would miss school because I'd have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'd be up late watching like videos or just playing guitar or noodling around or whatever. So I ended up flunking out. But later I went back to Southeast. It's just like community college in Kentucky. You know, I got a GED and then I ended up getting on the college route and then I made it to Knoxville, like got an associate's from Pellissippi. And then I started doing the um, University of Tennessee bachelor's thing. And I was a good student, but I didn't want to be an English teacher. And I remember telling someone like what I was going to do when I left. And they were like, dude, you sound miserable when you say this. And I'm like, dude, I do sound miserable (laughs) and I don't want to do this shit. So I ended up finding the conservatory, the school in Arizona, Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. And my friend Seva, he was a mastering engineer, super talented dude. He recommended I go there. So I just dropped out of college with like a year left and was like, I'm going to do this because I know this is going to work. And if it doesn't, then it'll be my mistake. I just going to, I got to do this. So that's how I ended up in Arizona. And then that's how I ended up out here in Los Angeles. I've interviewed a lot of people who've gone to Crass. What was your takeaway from the program? I think just working hard was the, was the main thing. Like it's not going to just happen for, for you. One of the first couple of weeks I was there, I remember talking to this guy, we were learning about what the artist role is and what the producer's role is and the mixer. And there was a guy on break talking like, I want to be all those things. And I was like, I don't, I want to be the lowest guy on the totem pole and just start from the bottom and chip my way through it all to like be able to empathize with everybody's experience from the intern to the producer to artist, everybody over time, but not, not like immediately. And as far as getting out to Los Angeles, what precipitated that? All the albums that I grew up loving were made here, like friggin' Tool, Anima, Deftones, just stuff that really impacted me growing up. All that was out here and all these studios and just to be a part of it. It's, it's, like, it's like a vortex out here, especially some of these studios like Cello was or, or like East West or Ocean Way or even Ocean, which was where I started my internship. It's a cool place. You graduated from Krauss. Did you finish the program? Yeah, I did. And did they place you at a studio in Los Angeles? Yeah, I had to do an internship for the school and they have something like 90 hours. But first I went back home to kind of take care of my mom for a bit because my mom was sick. So I went home for like six months and they let me just send in an hour a week so that I could kind of postpone my internship because they knew it was important to me that I came out here. And every week I would send the school like one hour so that I could save up my hours and complete my internship in LA. My mom ended up passing away. And three days after I moved to LA, like just, I just moved after her funeral. I mean, at the time it was just kind of like, I've put all this into this. So she wouldn't want me to just kind of bail. It was a lot, but um, got it done. You left after the funeral and went out to LA and started your, your internship at Ocean. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like I had about a week, I guess, where I lived here with my buddy in Santa Monica. My friend Sean just let me crash on his couch. And then I think I got that internship. I actually ended up finding one, one apartment and then I moved all my stuff in. And that night I was laying in bed and I saw a roach or I felt one or something. And I turned the light on. 
and there was like a million roaches. <laughs> so I got out of there the next day and they were cool. They're like, don't worry about the deposit or anything. Just take it all back. No worries. Welcome to California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious with your mom's death, how that kind of motivated or inspired you to say, okay, this part of my life has come to an end. Now I'm starting a new chapter. Did you kind of feel like you had a little bit of the wind at your back to push you into this because of this this loss? Yeah, I think that's a nice way to say it, the, the wind at my back. I guess I just felt like, honestly, like, you know how it is sometimes when when you got something going on and, and all you want to do is work to kind of just like distract yourself from it, whether you realize it or not. That may have been kind of what I was doing because I was going through like, and I actually don't talk about this with anybody, but I was really going through a lot. No doubt. And it felt like this is just something that's so important to me. I can't not do a really good job. So I remember every day at Ocean just cleaning like obsessively everything behind the counters and like looking up out of, they had a sweet latte machine there and I'd never even drank coffee before really until then, but I'm like learning how to make all these rosettas and all this stuff so I could get a job because they hadn't hired anyone in like two years and I didn't want to be the guy there that's just the, the intern forever waiting on the new assistant to bail. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just put my head down and worked hard and tried to just not think about it too much and keep a good attitude. Those early days of doing that stuff are really rough times. And I can't imagine with having your mom pass away and then coming out and diving into that. I mean, that's just, it's a lot on a person's shoulders. It may have been, and I didn't realize it, but yeah, I just, just want to work so bad in the music industry because like where I'm from, there's not a lot there. Like I said, Claiborne County, there's a lot of really great people there, which is cool. I'm definitely super proud to be from there, but it seems like this whole, just like fantasy world out here, like there, there are people who it's their job to make music with other people. Like what? <laughs> and for me to be able to do this, it's just, I'm just super grateful for it. I think that's something that we, a lot of us take for granted, especially those who were brought up in big cities. I wasn't, you clearly were not. No. I mean, just you're talking about Tennessee and, and these small places you're at. I grew up in a small town in southern New Mexico. And and mm. it is like a fantasy world that you walk into. And it's kind of like, wow, this is happening over here. And over here, it's a completely different world. And, yeah. and it's a little mind-blowing when you go back to those small places. Yeah, this place is just, I think the awe is so much bigger here. Being from a small town like somewhere in New Mexico or Tennessee or whatever, like places outside of here, they don't have what this place has, but they have something special there too that it's hard to explain. Coming out here was so rad though. Like the weather is great. The radio stations are great. The, you come out here and they're, you know, they're playing Tool on the radio or they're playing like just good music. They're just like playing all the good stuff and the weather is great. There are no mosquitoes, although there are now, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, and then everywhere there's like a little pocket of somewhere cool that you can go. Everybody's got a place that they can go that's like just home to them. And I, I love that about LA and it's definitely home to me, even though I'm not from here. Yeah. Obviously I still love and miss home, but, but yeah, I love it out here. I'll make a little bit of a comparison in that 
you mentioned earlier going back to the cafe and the staff is still there, same people. It, yeah. it can be like that when you go back to a small town where you go back and everybody's kind of in the same place. And yeah. the motivation to get out of those situations is there's there there isn't the the same drive and i think that when you're in a place like los angeles there is a lot of drive a lot of ambition that yeah gets people to kind of get out of their their comfort zones and gets them into new places that they ultimately want to be and and it's no knock against a small town i mean as long as people are happy that's what matters yeah i mean i'm not trying to knock anybody either like i think there's something really amazing about staying in a, in a spot and then thinking about your children and just raising them as best like that's your job pretty much you know and you take care of them and make sure that they can have opportunities that you didn't or for whatever your reason is but there's just something about like once you get a feel for like big city life <laughs> whatever you want to call it it's just it just makes things a little bit different i'd like to have both somehow well so take me through your trajectory as it played out in los angeles after ocean what was the takeaway from there and what came of that internship? That internship crazily turned into a runner position, which was like 400 bucks a week or something like that, which was amazing. I'm like, wow, this is it's a good start. And she's a guy named Brian Dong was the assistant there. And that guy was, a, he still is a genius. I really looked up to him, but he was also kind of mean. But he was mean, but I really respected him. You, you know, you run into people who, who have this weird ego thing and, and they crap on people who haven't done as much as them. It's just so lame usually. But this guy was different because he, he really knew what he was doing with music and with courting and just everything. So I looked up to him. How long does your time at Ocean last in total? Man, I was at Ocean for six months total. The first I planned on staying there until something worked out because I love the studio and I, I liked the guys that worked there. They were tough on me, but I still liked being there. The first gig was Counting Crows and then the friggin' Allison Chains came in for like three months and then another producer from Knoxville, Tennessee, Nick Raskulinix, local legend there, he showed up and I remember playing dice with Allison Chains on the pool table, you know, just like, <laughs> it was kind of a, it was a really good time. I remember too, I don't know how to, talk about this without sounding like a douchebag, but like, <laughs> I was at the Grammys. I went once for something cool. And I remember texting my brother being like, oh my God, Allison Chains is here. And he was like, dude, ask him if they want some burgers. <laughs> that way they'll remember you. Because I was just running out to get them burgers. I, I didn't know if, <laughs> if they would know who I was. That was super cool for me. So six months there at Ocean and some cool things. And then why did you leave and, and how did that come to an end? I left because my $400 a week, I had to end up splitting it with the fellow named Lance Tanpants. He was interning and had the same mentality like, well, I'm going to stay here. And then we were all like, I guess if you're going to stay, then we'll have to just give you half the hours and then give me half the hours. So that was the deal. It ended up not working out very good for either one of us. So we both ended up leaving. I think he worked with Rob Cavallo. And I ended up working at East West. And then Brian actually ended up leaving and, and he got on with The Voice because the first season was done up there. So he joined that Bill Appleberry team and that's sort of what happened with that. But yeah, I moved on to East West and then the first day, they ended up not wanting to give me a job. But then they found out I had a truck 
and Metallica was there. So they ended up getting me a job. (laughs) (laughs) Were you a runner? Yes. Okay. And I was working so hard, like just trying to keep everything clean and organize new systems for like running out to smart and final things that I basically learned from Greg at ocean. And like, we need to have this like checklist so that when people go to get stuff, it can be more efficient. And it's like, we have this amount of milk. We need this amount of milk or like whatever, just kind of stuff like that. Painting, doing absolutely anything I could or like thirding on sessions, like jumping in off the clock just so I could learn from the assistant engineer or, or whoever. Were there big differences between how Ocean ran the runner program versus East West? Yeah, huge because Ocean was just one room and then East West was this community of tons and tons of people. Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of different personalities and Candace is just the best. She's definitely one of my heroes is just in terms of like how to be with people and how to be honest and still funny and just like truthful, but like not afraid to say what's on your mind and She's got a heart of gold, you know? Yeah. Everybody I've ever talked to about Candace speaks very highly of her. Oh, man. Yeah. Just the the best person you could talk to. Yeah. I've only had the pleasure of meeting her in passing one time, but maybe we'll have her on the show. Maybe we should. Yeah. Should be really interesting. Well, so tell me, how long did you stay at East West? I was there six years, I think, as staff, which in real people time is like 18 years because because <laughs> you're there like three times as long so six years yeah i was just doing anything i could and then i remember working on the frank ocean album blonde as an assistant but then like a fill-in engineer like sometimes i would just have to do it because no one would be there they'd all be like so burnt out or tired and i would just cover or just like working with producers upstairs sometimes and that was like a two year long thing. Yeah, somewhere in the middle, just doing stuff like recall for one of the people working with Greg Fiddleman. It's like, I need to do some all the recall for the console. So I'd be like, well, I'll happily stay two hours or so over just so I can kind of learn what this guy's doing and like why he's got this mic for here and why he's doing this with this mic. Just good learning opportunity. I didn't want to waste doing stuff like that. Wow, six years. That's a That's a pretty good run there. What was the position that you reached at the end of, sounds like a job interview. What's the position that you reached at the end of your time there at East West? Oh, I was an engineer for sure. Okay. Uh, But I ended up meeting Miguel, the singer. And what happened with that was he, I remember the first day it was the producer, Happy Perez's birthday back in March, 2015, I think. Miguel was late, not his fault for this time, but me and Happy just ended up hanging out. I was like, it's your birthday? You like guitar pedals? I like guitar pedals. So we ended up getting drunk and talking about guitar pedals and just listening to music. It just kind of felt like, okay, well, these, this feels different. This feels like the people that I could work with for like a long time. And it ended up going from a month to like almost two years in the making that album. And I went from not knowing if I was engineering the thing or not to me just going in early and fiddling around and being like, Miguel, check this out. I mixed it. And he's like, this is amazing. I was like, is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like the song Skywalker, I'd be playing in Ubers just to reference as many different speakers as I could just to make sure that it was like good. Yeah, I ended up playing drums on that and doing like bass, some guitar and just being a lot more than I thought I was going to be just because I was like testing stuff out before you got there. 
that's how I ended up leaving East West was I had mixed a lot of the Miguel stuff and things were going pretty good. So I figured it was time to get out of the way so that other people could do the same, like Bo Bodner and Chad Gordon and those folks. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. When you make the decision to leave, I mean, is there a plan or did you just leave? Well, I gave Candace a year notice. I was like, I think I'm going to bail in like a year. So that's what I did. But by that time, you, you were a main engineer on the sessions that were coming in the door yeah. Did you hesitate to leave? No, because for me, I would feel fulfilled just being the house guy like all the time, the first call. That's why I ended up going more into production because I just feel like more of a creative person then. And I feel like what I do engineering wise is just kind of part of my paintbrush, I guess. So it, it sort of ended up feeling like, oh, well, I've done all this. And it feels more like production to me than just like capturing something. So. That's kind of why I left. I just felt like there's something more more out there for me. What was the plan then, assuming there is a plan? I'll produce albums and um, make songs with people. We actually just went back there like in April and did Hamish Anderson's album, which I'm so pumped about. I really like how that turned out. It's just something like really magical about, I hate that word magical, but it's it's just a really cool phenomenon with the console there. And the way it distorts and the way the room smells and like just all of it is so surreal. I love it. Very cool. Not, I'm not like an advertisement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think my number one question then is how did you lead there and sustain yourself financially and career-wise? Like did the work just keep coming in? You know, you would think, but it kind of stopped. And I even had management for a minute. And I think I really just got like, a big head about it. It's like, I just did all this. I got this award and this thing and this thing. And now this is quadruple platinum. 
So that means obviously that everyone's going to want to work with me. But <laughs> when I think about it, like I don't want to work with some douchebag who has all these awards if he's not fun to be around or she's not fun to be around. But I, I feel like maybe that's kind of where I made some mistakes, if I'm being honest, but definitely learned a lot of lessons just from that time period. Was it kind of a humbling experience, like leaving East West and being like, okay, where's all the work? Oh, there's not a lot of work. <laughs> I wish I was that smart, but honestly, no, I thought it was going great at first because I had all these opportunities, but then things just started to change. And it wasn't really until maybe the last couple of years where I just decided I could just really work on the things that I really, really like and work super hard and be super good to people. And everything just ends up like blooming into this super cool thing like the next thing you know you're playing a, a great show with people that you really like and you like the music and everything is cool so it's kind of been a recent discovery when you left east west what year was that 2017 oh. that was the year that the miguel album came out and i had some other stuff going on just felt like i had a lot going on yeah i was super super stoked and working like unbelievably hard but i think i was just kind of working toward the wrong thing looking back and you never know in the moment, like if you're working in the right direction or not until it's like, okay, this definitely feels like the right thing to do, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. So you were there for six years, but then 2017, okay, that was six years ago when you left. So did you have a strategy? Like what was the strategy to get the work? How were you getting the work that you did get? I didn't really have a strategy. It's more like just, I feel like way leads on to way at the time. When I left, I, I've had like three different managers, which I'm not proud of, but that, that helped me meet some folks. But yeah, I don't really know. I just end up meeting people who want to work on stuff and then they'll be like, hey, we should work on this or you should work with this person. And I'm usually down if they're cool. There's that. And then it's just trying to stay creative with making samples lately. That's been super fun. We're like playing shows, just trying to stay busy. Hmm. Okay. The right kind of busy. So have you just been going back and working out of the facilities like East West that you're, you're comfortable in when you're working with artists? Oh God, if I'm lucky, it's an expensive place, but the value is just, it's just worth so much more than the price to me. It's like a, a once in a lifetime experience. If you've got the right team together and it's a special spot like there or the village with that, that room back there and it, it's got the chamber and all these really low ceilings. I think it's D. Hmm. There's a ton of these these cool places around town, but it's nice to be somewhere where you, you, you're familiar. Did you have any kind of home studio that you were bouncing back and forth between some of these other places? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole time. I've always had my own spot just because you want to be familiar with speakers in a room. Definitely if you're, if you're mixing stuff or mastering, you want to have your spot. So I've always had my own place where I do overdubs and, and all that, but it is cool just being somewhere and being able to record a bunch of people at the same time and then take it home and do what you will with it. You know? Yeah. There's nothing like going to a place with a great infrastructure to just accomplish what you need to accomplish and not have to struggle. Yeah. You know, technologically. Yeah. And get creative too. It's yeah. Really, really cool. You mentioned that you made, in your opinion, some mistakes post East West in the last six years. And you had a number of managers. Like, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I could. I don't know. I feel like I put too much weight on some people. 
who were like further along than me when my gut was being like these people are lame like why do i care what they think which it's definitely good to hear different opinions but for me i was just i was just really beating myself up because i wasn't where i wanted to be technically and like i just hadn't worked on as many of the albums and songs that i'd wanted to yet and then i'm around other people who i feel like at the time were honestly just kind of like rubbing it in my face that i wasn't wasn't where i needed to be so the mistakes and like learning from that was just like get just get around people that that do like three things they celebrate when you celebrate and you can celebrate when they win and they're just there for you like if you need them so i kind of just found people like that are you talking about managers or are you talking about other colleagues colleagues okay yeah i've had some great managers honestly I'm just mostly talking about colleagues, I guess. And is that the the ones that you had trouble with? I mean, was that just, do you think that was just out of competition or where do you, where do you think that stems from? I think Candace, Candace calls them actually like fuzzy sharks. You know, fuzzy we're all just like sharks. in the shark tank, kind of fuzzy. It's a great analogy. I've always been super hard on myself. So if I'm not doing like exactly what I want to be, how I, how I can, you know, and doing the best job I can do, then just really beat myself up. And I need to be around other people who beat themselves up like, like I do. And we are all like, no, man, don't beat yourself up. You're doing fine. Then all is good for me, for me anyway. Have you ever at any point in your time in, in Los Angeles thought, screw this, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go back to Tennessee? Back to Tennessee? No. I wanted to take a break at one point and just like join the fire department or something hmm. and do some like super dad type shit. You know what I mean? But- I have to do this. I have to do production and mixing and just whatever it is I do, whatever it's called. Yeah. I love it so much. But at one point I wanted to not get divorced, but separate for a little while. Separate from audio. Yeah. Just like see other jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Like I did think that it could be cool to do the fireman thing for a little while but then that's like so much work that's like two years of school and the emt thing and if i see blood i might pass out who knows i thought about that and i thought about like having a side venture with like a little restaurant with some fried chicken but at the end of the day it feels like everything is just for production and for music and making songs and as soon as i stopped doing it i would be sad and feel unfulfilled i think in that spirit of doing other things have you ever considered doing other audio things like doing post-production or or, you know just working on films on the audio side oh no i could not do that once i thought about how it would be cool to have like a hipster sleep noise thing and just have like guitar pedals humming you know (laughs) as you go to sleep to that and that'd be the whole brand it's just like amp sounds and stuff like that hipster Um, sleep noise (laughs) that is i love that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I should still do it. I don't know. I would be miserable if I didn't do music. Yeah. In the beginning, we were talking about your garage, which uh, you've come from the garage into the house because the Wi-Fi wasn't <laughs> so good. Tell me about your plans. What's What are you going to do with this space, with this garage space? Like, What will be the uses for that space? Well, I haven't actually told anyone yet, but here's the moment, I guess. I ended up buying this the console that I learned on, the Neotech Elite. Mm-hmm. It's kind of beat up, but it's over at the conservatory. So I'm going to go pick that up at the end of the week. And that's going to go in there. And I'm just going to keep writing and, and keep like working with, with folks here. I'm not totally sure exactly how I'm going to use it yet. 
but it's definitely going to be a good diffuser for my speakers <laughs> <laughs> or a good reflection surface. Yeah, exactly. I do love just like a summing mixer kind of thing. It's such a pain in the ass, but it just makes me feel like I'm doing something right whenever I'm summing out to a console. Uh-huh. So I may do that, or I may set up some like weird guitar chains to kind of run stuff into, or like weird vocal effects with pedals and just have it kind of preset. I'm not totally decided how I'm going to do that, but I know I'm going to have that console and some skylights and a bunch of sunlight and rock wool it up, float the floor, and just get it sounding as best as it can sound. And you do it all on your own? I was going to, but my friend Costa, his brother came up here the other day. His name's Telly. And I completely forgot about this, but he likes doing construction like me. Then he's like, dude, I used to work for this sound guy like forever. We probably built a hundred studios. And I'm like, damn, let's make it 101. So I think it's going to be me and Telly working on it. That sounds great. I can't fathom like doing a new studio in the future on my own, I think it would be inevitable that I would involve somebody. So just to get another set of, a lot of other opinions and and, and such. But when you mix nowadays, you mentioned going through a console and you have a home studio setup, but will this become your place to mix and kind of like just the home base? Definitely, yeah. This will definitely be the home base. And I honestly don't know that I will run out to the console to mix. It always depends. I'll probably end up using it more for like, I guess presets with pedals and like panning and that kind of thing, I think, just to have a bunch of options. But yeah, this will be home base. Taking kind of a the whole time frame in from arriving in Los Angeles to this point now, let's discuss the survival. Like, are you comfortable now? You feel like you're making a, a decent living and able to survive? Yeah. Yeah, I feel super blessed, I guess, as they say. But yeah, I'm super happy with everything. <laughs> Has... Your comfort level now financially, did that come as a result of just saving your pennies or did you make some smart moves like get points on records and have some passive income coming in? Got definitely got some points on some stuff, not all of it. It just feels like it's just kind of in like publishing. Man, honestly, a lot of that stuff is like, I still need to register. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I still got to get my publishing thing figured out just because I, I get publishing on a lot of songs and I haven't registered them yet. So I guess it's like they're registered. But you're getting the money? No, I still got to register the songs. Been too busy to to sort that out. Yeah, that and then plus like fees too. Like if someone wants me to do their album, then I'll do that. And then if they have a friend and they want me to do their album too, then I'll do that. I get some back end stuff, but okay, it's not really the, the bulk of it though. And how do you feel about how you approach the work-life balance thing. Do you feel like you're working all the time? Do you have time to do other things and spend time around the people you enjoy being around? Yeah, I feel like work-life is mostly kind of intermingled, you know? I love my wife very much, and I love my friends and these dogs I got around here. So, yeah, you can't really help it when you get in the zone. You just end up there, and yeah. I I wish I could see my family back home more. I think that'd be the only thing that I would do differently. And then I'm grateful too that Kate sometimes will just like schedule stuff like we're going to Scotland. Um, So then I have to take a break, you know? Yeah. Kate, that's your wife? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like having somebody say, yep, we're going here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yep. Tell me where to go. I'll just get on the bus, get on the plane, get in the car whatever. Yeah. I'm super lucky. Like I played the Red Rocks the other day, which I'm still stoked about. And Kate always finds the best places 
she found an Airbnb, a 20 minute walk from the venue. Not that it's like a recommended walk, but it's super close. He stayed there and then the owner is like obsessed with the Red Rocks venue. So he probably been to a thousand shows there. It's just really, really cool. She knows where all the good spots are. So you've had kind of a combination of, it's not that you're just an engineer. You mix, you record, you produce, you write, you play. You're kind of doing a big, big chunk of the of the different duties. Is there any one thing out of that group of things I mentioned that is your favorite? I think the production part of it, because that has all of those things involved in one. Mm. So for me, if I can like play and then I can decide, oh, I want to use just these two mics on the drums, or I want to use 30 mics on the drums and then whittle it down to two because I made that decision at the end, then I'll do that. And then if I want to mix it, then I can. And if we think someone else would be cool to do it, then we can. And it's just fun that way because I feel like there's more control, I guess, or like the option of control because it's just more of like my voice is a little bit louder in the choir, I think, versus like, oh, you're engineering this, so don't say anything <laughs> at all and smell good. Uh, those are the only real requirements for that sometimes. Versus like playing, all you really got to do is know your parts. So I think production is the, my favorite of all of those. Yeah, I could see that that would tickle all the senses of creativity and playing and the engineering side of things as well. Yeah. And that totally makes sense. Is it hard in a production for you to let go of the mixing part? Well, not really. I think it used to be, honestly, at first though, because of the way that I set all those things up, the production mix is, is usually the one. And there are only a few people where I'm like, okay, this guy's super good and he could definitely enhance what's already here and not damage it and just change it. I think a really good mixer kind of elevates it a little bit and reshapes the tone more than anything. So I try to just go for mixers that, that do that. Yeah, where there's already a really well-crafted production rough mix. Yeah, hell yeah. Is that tough to find people who will just say, okay, cool, I'll take what you have and improve upon it? Is it your experience that a lot of people would just say, no, nah, I'm going to tear the building down and rebuild it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few people who get it. like, And it's usually people that work in pop and that have worked for bigger mixers. They know that we're not trying to change anything too much, just trying to elevate it to where it's almost like mastering in a, in a weird way where it just takes and really lifts it, makes the drums punch a little bit more. You feel good about it in the car. The vocal's a little bit more buttery. and Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Almost like stem mixing. Yep. That's what I do pretty much when I mix is, unless someone's trying to get me to be super creative, I'll just take what they've given me and treat each instrument like I'm going to treat the drums this way. I'm going to treat the music this way. I'm going to treat the background vocals this way and the vocals this way. And I'm not going to take anything off. I'm just going to like correct in places and maybe do something to make it feel bigger in the chorus and something to make it feel smaller in the verse. Mm -hmm. But I try to keep people's demos sounding like they do, but just a little bit bigger yeah. and fuller and thicker, and all that. more dynamic. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they go online and look you up where can they check you out memosautoparts.com <laughs> it's m-a-m-a-w-s 
like a mamma. Oh, okay. Like a grandma. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, yeah. Because we used to call uh, my grandmother and my grandfather growing up, they were always known as Mima and Papa. Nice. Yeah. And depending on what part of the country you're from, it's Mama or Papa or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's always Mama's auto parts. Okay. It's definitely an Appalachian thing. Um, <laughs> I've, I later discovered, I thought everyone has a Mama. And then it's like, wait, you don't? Yeah. I'm sorry. Or a granny or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Okay, well, I'll put a link in the show notes for you, audience, to check that out. You can peruse that. And you know what you turned me on to, which I feel like a fool that I didn't know about it before, is Jaxta. Oh, the, cool. Uh, the credit thing. And you've done this interesting thing in your website with this like one sheet. Well, that was Ben's idea. The guy that runs that place, he's the best, man. And he really, really cares a lot about credits, which I've, I've had to let some things go because I didn't get credited. And it's like, when the album comes out and your name isn't on it and you worked for a year and a half, two years on it, and it's like the biggest album of the last 10 years, it's kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> so, oh my God. Has that happened often? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But that's just the way it is. But Ben gets it. And he has really spearheaded the movement for like fixing this stuff. And I really appreciate him over there. So he was suggesting, yeah, you know, you can take and just embed the code into your site. And I'm like, well, how can I not? Because they roll over there. Well, that's cool. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that too, because, you know, I'm always looking for little things like that, alternatives to what is typical. All music has, I'm just going to publicly say this, they have, have just been piss poor. I mean, the last 10 years, yeah. There's like 100 David Davises, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. But I signed up and I was like, oh, there's all these Matt Boudreaux's. And I just sent him a message and I just, this is probably an hour ago, and I, I'm now getting a, contact from him saying how to handle my request which is super cool because a lot of yeah. these companies just do a terrible job of it that's a pretty quick turnaround honestly i'm super impressed i will put links in the show notes to that and is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about no i, I don't think so okay yeah I, I really, really appreciate the time on your show. I think it's super, super cool. And I've loved like listening to Jay's and Phil's and Vance's and everybody's. I got to check out Will's too. Well, I want to thank you for your time and sharing all this stuff. Some of the stuff that you didn't anticipate sharing, but that's kind of what you get when you get on the line with me. But I most certainly am grateful that you were, uh, were comfortable to share with me. So appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me again. All right. You take care. See you later. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. David Davis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Reminder to tell a friend or leave a five-star review at your podcast aggregator. 
yeah, tell all your friends for that matter. I don't really even care if they're into audio. Tell them to come on over and take a listen and hear what we got going on here. I think it'll be great. Anyways, that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo in the editing, Cliff Truesdale in the Working Class Audio theme song, and the badass voice of Mr. Chuck Smith at the end of the show. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn. You can always send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.